1: If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
0: We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
2: The Waldorf, where folks just sit around all day, join the crowd, relax at the Waldorf, and croon their care. jazz, but in small doses. No rock, pop, and you could cause bosses. Don't sing loud when you sing at the Waldorf, or find somewhere else to play. Uptown jazz ain't just a whiff of society Tells you when you riff To be quiet at the Waldorf Uptown, we got bums But we scaffold them Downtown, we got drums But we muffle them Nobody who comes Would be ruffled at the Waldorf Well, ain't it swell Doing swell at the swell Swellest hotel of them all Down. It's a blast that we're giving you. Downtown, that's the last thing we'd ever do. We're not loud or fast, we're just lounging at the Waldorf. Lounging at the Waldorf. Lounging at the Waldorf.
3: You guys, oh, yeah. you can clap. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> We generally don't allow clapping on the show because there's, like, four of us and, like, nothing is sadder than, like, two people clapping for one person. It just actually sounds really, really rude. Uh, Rich Jenkins, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you, great. And we also have, like, is, this is not the entire Jenkins family. This is yeah, two more. Two more. Um, but we uh, met you or know of you through your daughter, Cassandra Jenkins, who was on an earlier episode, which you can go back and check from the archives update yourself educate yourself because we'll probably try to avoid covering a lot of the same ground or get it from a different perspective anyway. Yeah. Uh, but they're in they're in studio as well. Uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Chin Chin <laughs> 32. 30, 30 deuce. I don't think anyone says that. Even numbers. I said even numbers are the best. Oh, yeah. What really? happens in odd years? Uh, they're you odd. You lie. <laughs> yeah. You lie. Okay. You lie. Um, yeah, it's a great way to start the show. Thanks to everyone and all the birthday wishes. Um, I guess I realize this only really happens like once every seven years that you we would have our birthday on a show. Oh. Uh, sometimes. It gets kind of funny with the, the leap years. Oh, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, we'll look at calendars. We'll do yeah. it off air. Yeah. But I'm one half your host. I'm Darren Bresnitz. Greg Bresnitz. Welcome to Snacky Toons. This has been a while since we've done a show together. Then it will be another while after this. Man, can't, can't hold this down. Um, but um, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, so as we have mentioned over the years there are the people behind the scenes that help make this show happen. And we always shout them out, and it's always at the end, but we wanted to do, for a very special birthday hangout celebration to two of our favorite PR people, Marcus and Shannon from Bullfrog and Bound. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Do you want to swing that microphone around? There we go. Why don't you guys introduce yourself, tell us what you do.
4: I'm Shannon. I work for bullfrog and Baum, sorry i'm having trouble
1: with this microphone there we go and i'm marcus i work with shannon at bullfrog and Baum.
3: now what do you guys each do there
4: so marcus and i are lucky enough to be on the same team yes awesome um which i know you guys are familiar with the rest of our cast of characters we have over there and um i am an account coordinator marcus is an account executive so but we work with a lot of chefs um Based here in New York, in D.C., Miami, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. So the
3: whole eastern seaboard.
4: Yeah.
1: Pretty much.
3: Um, all right. So let's go back to the very beginning. So that's what you do now. Uh, how did your journey to food start? Where did you guys fall in love with the culinary? I heard you grew up eating. Is that correct? Do I have my facts <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it could have gotten into breathing PR as well. Yeah. That's I
4: did. True. I was um, I was a huge nerd when I was a kid, which not much has changed since then. But I grew up watching a lot of um, Iron Chef. So after school, I'd always go home and watch that. Uh, then after high school, I went to culinary school and was a pastry cook for seven years. Whoa! So I did that in San Francisco. I worked for Emily Lucetti, and then I moved to the East Coast to work for Jean georges Who? Jean georges <laughs> He's like nope. this little little French guy.
3: Favorite pastry. To make.
4: Oh, to make. I don't know. Probably anything fruit. I'm more of a fruit dessert girl than, um, Mm -hmm. I'm a big nectarine person. Wait, then what's
3: your favorite to eat? Are those two different (laughs) answers?
4: No, I mean, I think most pastry chefs uh, do say chocolate desserts, like a dark chocolate type of thing, but.
3: How much butter have you used your entire life?
4: Oh, I eat so much butter. When I was a kid, I used to eat like the cubes of butter off the table.
3: So you were, you were built for this job. Yeah. Built. I still uh, go
4: to Italy and buy three dollar Vermont creamery butter and oh, eat it with so radishes good. at our office all the time. <laughs> it's so
1: good, but that's a meal. That's a that's you can order that. Yeah, Marcus, sir. You know, I did not go to culinary school, but I was born and raised in New York, and there's two things I think New Yorkers appreciate: it's a good apartment mm-hmm. and a good reservation. So mm-hmm. I spent you know a lot of time um, eating out and. When I was ready to get into PR, food PR kind of was like a natural choice. Um, did you have better reservations than an apartment? Um, you know, I had bad reservations and bad apartments. Okay, okay.
3: <laughs> what was the first like good reservation yeah. you got? I got you. Thank you. Okay, hey, twins, twins on their birthdays. <laughs> um, for, what was the first reservation you got? both of you where you're like nailed it where you're like I'm in or I've arrived
4: Um, I think mine was probably at 11 Madison Park Ooh. it was a really cool one I went for a friend's birthday a few years ago and had I think it was the first one of the first meals that I was really blown away by
3: now was that pulling strings or did you get it on your own
4: uh, we made the reservation through one of the sous chefs there okay fair enough had a five hour long meal
3: that sounds about right in the
4: middle of August <laughs> a little hot afterwards. You
1: stay awake the whole time?
4: Yes.
1: (laughs) Marcus? And I would say ABC Kitchen when when it first opened. Your old boss.
4: (laughs) Yes. He has lots of restaurants these days. He
3: does indeed. (laughs) Um, How was that meal?
1: It was delicious. It was really tasty. And that's the kind of food I really like. Yeah. Um, Oh, Wait.
3: So for people who can't get reservations, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, who are like for like as we're talking about you Noba know, opening up in Japan, it's like who's going there. But what what tip would you give to someone if like they're not on the inside game, they don't think it's like how would you recommend that they uh...
4: patience? I think people need to be a little bit more patient. Like they want to go to the restaurant when they want to go to it, but if, a lot of these restaurants, if you make a reservation in advance, they're not going to cancel your reservation. So. If you want to go to some new super hot restaurant, wait two weeks, like put the reservation in and then go. Because then you're definitely going to have one.
1: You know, also be nice to the person picking up the be phone nice. at the restaurant. Yeah. Just be nice. We we were at
3: Pacificana today. I don't know if you've ever seen the door woman at Pacificana, which is this giant dim sum place out in Bay Ridge. I mean, I realized we could have just like slipped her like 20 bucks and been really nice. We yeah. sat very quickly. Yeah. Um, so speaking of patience, you know, uh, I'm sure you work in varying levels of, of chefs, but when like a uh, chef kind of comes in for their first time doing PR, what type of like expectations do you set for them, or what type of like guidance do you give a new chef who has gone from like the "I can't handle this, I need" uh, uh can I put an addendum on that? Mm-hmm. It, it, do you like better working with a chef who's just getting started or one who's been established who realize they need PR?
4: I mean, that's kind of a tough question, because yeah. there's so many different facets to every client that we have. I mean, we do work with chefs that have been doing this for 20 or 30 years already, and then we also work with people who are launching their first restaurant and need very different things. So, whether it's like the beginning of a restaurant, at Bullfrog we do what's called like a tadpole campaign, yeah. it's like a short-term client, so like when they're starting a restaurant, doing all of their opening press, making sure the messaging's correct, like what we're handling for them. Um, So it kind of changes.
3: I mean, what are the biggest challenges of launching a restaurant? Um, Something that we may, I mean, obviously there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of stuff, but something that people may not think about as being like, this is actually why I'm a professional and why this is what we're paid to do.
1: There's, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants in New York City. Yeah. And it's extremely competitive. And a lot of these chefs, they, I mean, they put their all into it. They liquidate funds yeah. and savings to to open this restaurant. So they have a lot writing on it and there's there's a lot of people you have to reach out to and you know there's a lot of media in New York City and you have to be incredibly organized in order to successfully launch that restaurant for the, cuz the chef is is going through a really hectic period Usually. You know, late hours, recipe oh, testing, never by their computer. So you have to be organized for the chef. So talk so take us through uh how many months out, so
3: I'm opening up a new place. How many months out? What's the game plan? Where are you opening up? Uh, oh Brooklyn. But, what, what? no, but wait, what what does that matter?
1: Well, there's you know, <laughs> we know brooklyn like the back of our hand probably but if you were opening up in uh the
4: upper east side or upper west side you're <laughs> going to get a very different clientele okay. up there and you're going to be wanting to reach out to a very specific set of media who are going to reach bugs. the people that yeah not necessarily mommy blogs like the people that you want to reach out to are the people who live in the upper east side or the upper west side and the people that are going to go to that restaurant and spend money are going to be somebody very different than like somebody in deep bushwick or Bay Ridge.
3: okay so let's talk brooklyn so we're we're opening up this new area called Williamsburg. Don't you heard of it? <laughs> Got a place, good concept, you know, what's like what do you do?
1: You invite us in. Okay. And we try to learn everything we can about your vision for this restaurant. The and menu. <clears throat> I mean and a you. lot of
4: it is 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 the the chefs that we represent, they're They have all these amazing ideas for their restaurants, but they also have a whole cool story behind why they started this and why they want to do this cuisine, whether it's their, their heritage, you know, like we work with Dale, who I know you guys are close with and love Dale. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of his rest, a lot of his restaurants have a lot of Filipino and Asian American style cuisines on there and something that's very close to his heart. So like when we started working with him, we wanted to make sure we got that message across to people about how passionately he felt with his family.
3: Yeah. we, We want to tell your story. Can you launch a restaurant these days without a story? I mean, can you launch anything without a story? I'm just... I'm asking... I mean... I mean... I think I mean, Hold on. I mean, like, you know, if the food is really amazing, and it's like these talented chefs, but it's just like, this is just their next restaurant. Like, do you need a story? I mean, yes. I mean, if you need one, I get that, but... I would just have to say on almost anything, you would need a story. Music, food, literature, any... Like... Okay. But I mean, point in case that J.K. Rowling book... That was that she released underneath um, a pseudonym, that didn't do. It was a great book. No one read it. It got leaked, and then next day it was like number one seller. Okay, but same she, this book. Is, so I take it as a yes. Yes.
4: I just don't think anybody's <laughs> restaurant comes out of nowhere. Because exactly. Okay. Our boss says all the time, and I couldn't agree with her more: that you don't choose the restaurant industry; the restaurant industry she chooses you. you.
3: When did you feel that that happened to you guys? Like, uh, at what point did you feel?
4: I was a kid, I was like 18 and working in restaurants and I just thought I was so cool because I got to cook and I got to hang out with all my friends and it's, it's a lot of hours, but you don't do it for nothing. So like your passion has to come from somewhere. And I think that's what more, what we meant by, by their story is that whether they're cooking Mediterranean food, we have a chef that we work with, um, in DC who has cooked Italian food his whole life, but married a Greek woman and learned from his, her tia olga how to make phyllo <laughs> dough in, like some basement like i think that's an incredible story that we like to tell people
3: so you get the story you get all the materials and then is it like a six because i know that the the news cycle so fast these days and you don't want to start because you run that risk is like you start talking about a restaurant it's coming it's coming it's coming it's it's almost here it's coming and then you're like oh they've been talking about the opening of this restaurant for six months and we're bored
1: already yeah i mean you need at least a month Okay. You need, you need to get the publicist at least a month.
4: At least a month. At least a month. And that's before your opening day, because you know there's always things that happen, whether it be like the health co- company has to come in, or the hoods the are not working. There's always, you know, some opening crisis where they didn't get the glassware in time, so no, they're gonna open a restaurant, nobody's gonna have a cup or something like that.
3: And uh, how hard do you have to vet these chefs? Like, are you trying? Like, are you like tell me all your skeletons? Like, what might come out? Or does it doesn't never get that deep. It doesn't get that deep.
4: No, but they're I think not our-
3: Darren. Chefs I- with skeletons. <laughs> I mean I know they all have skeletons. I know they all heard- <laughs> I'm just I'm just wondering.
4: I mean we don't uh, look you said like- I heard look, they
3: have unstructured lives. You said you said you try and learn everything about them and do you ever ask questions like is there something that's gonna come out during the launch of the restaurant that might derail? <laughs> I'm not running for president. I I no, know. Know, it's <laughs> not. Tennessee. We're opening up a taco shop. In Look, Brooklyn. I, just, I just finished House of Cards. I'm just wondering. <laughs> all right, all right. We're gonna play a song. Okay, we're gonna play a song, and then right. I want to hear some 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 not war stories, but just uh, some industry stories of like successes, good moments. Yeah. So we have Shannon Marquez from Bullfrog and Baum. Shout out to Jennifer, JB. Shout out to Jennifer. Shout out to all the ladies kicking it at Jubilee today. A thousand yeah. food women in the house, networking. I love it. Supporting. Making moves. Making moves. Is it really because of that Times cover? 100%. Wow, that's amazing. They were going to do it, the, the story that I heard is that they were going to do it like next year. It's hosted by Cherry Bomb Magazine, it's all about women in food. And then that Times article came out that didn't mention one woman in the entire article. Which, what I don't understand is how no one called that out. Who wrote the article? I don't know who wrote the article. I bet it was a dude. I'm sure it was, but like, there's no, <laughs> there's no one on the staff who was like, "Hey, should we have like a woman, like anyone?" I mean, I tokenism is so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that because we're Jewish? <laughs> I'm black. Uh, uh, so, uh, so we're here and we're we're talking about the stories behind the scenes. You know, a lot of things that people don't know about. What. When you launch a restaurant, is the army of publicists and agents and the people behind the phrase? Oh yeah, I just heard about this great place. Is, yeah, is, is <laughs> yeah, the very- people. Who- <laughs> yeah. So, uh, can you share a story about launching a restaurant? No names are needed, and it can be all positive, but just like something where you felt you know it was uh, come from behind, uh, you know, handicapped restaurant that succeeded super well.
4: I'm trying to think. I mean, a lot of our... We have a lot of good stories, definitely, from from doing this, from being on the food PR side and from being in the industry just in general. Um, but I don't want to say that necessarily anybody had, like, a serious handicap to overcome when they opened their restaurant. They were all... Because so much passion does go into opening these projects that um, they're so well thought out by the time they actually do open. And that's what I think, like, we help with a lot is getting the correct messaging out and, and making sure that their vision is fully realized by everybody else
1: it's a very political answer that's so political yeah,
3: it's so, yeah. okay well i mean you know people can listen to this episode and be like chefs can be difficult
4: <laughs> they, you don't have to
3: say it they really
4: love email i'm just kidding uh, i was like that's probably one of the funniest have you, have you had
3: to like um just go down to the restaurant and like get in their face
4: Uh, no, but sometimes they've ignored my calls when I'm like, no, but I really, really need that recipe from you. But, uh, a lot of them don't check their emails and, you know, I definitely understand it from a very different perspective because I was there, I would get yelled at if I had my phone on the line with me. So, uh, they don't have their phones on them very often. Right. Like I know they're big into the Instagram, the Twitter these days, so they might have it on a little bit more often than they did before, but I text a lot of them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's the fastest
4: way to get information for them to take photos and to send it to me and selfie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was actually a question I had to ask somebody recently. I'm like, can you take a kitchen selfie for me? Really? Yeah. Interesting. I'll give you one guess who did it. Dale? Yeah.
3: (laughs) You have a story about Dale, right?
4: Oh, yes. My favorite story was I was still pretty new to his account. And my team, Marcus, and a few of our coworkers were down in D.C. um, trying out one of our new restaurants down there. Shout him out. Uh, they were down there, I think they were for Blue Jacket or Iron Gate, which is, um, part of Neighborhood Restaurant Group, who okay. has an incredible beer program down there. Um, we're learning so much about beer, I didn't even so know. <laughs> Do you know what a cool ship is? I don't. Because I just found this out the other day. What's a cool ship? It's like an, an antique way of making beer, where they, like, cool the wort down in these huge troughs. Massive. and like Massive. Oh. But they're one of the few breweries in the uh, US was that like has a, one. I thought
3: it was like a beer shot combo.
4: <laughs> it does cool ship, not cool shot.
3: No, I I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Like a I don't know, an ice natty ice or something like that. Does it does it change the way the beer tastes or is it just uh...
4: Yeah, I mean they have an incredible selection on tap down there. I just went down there um, I guess it was in November and sampled a bunch of the different ones that they had. They have this incredible one that they make with a smoked salt, which is really interesting. Oh. Learning a lot about craft beer. Craft
3: beer. So you get a call from Dale.
4: Oh, yes. So my whole team is out of the office, and I'm still pretty new, so I want to make sure I'm doing everything right. And uh, this was the day after Googa Mooga, I think it was. Yeah. And apparently he had been riding his bike back to the restaurant and was distracted by something he saw on the street <laughs> and uh, crashed his bike into the back of a car, dislocating his shoulder. He was supposed to be flying to Seattle the next day to do an event out there and had a few uh, segments, but he had to bring a sous chef with him to assist with, like, prepping for things because he had, like, totally messed up his shoulder.
3: Oh, my God.
4: But that was a really fun call to get the next day. I was like, what do you mean you dislocated your shoulder? Yeah,
3: I don't understand.
4: (laughs) I'm like, are you in a sling? And then I had to call my whole team and explain to them what happened. And they're like, so can he do TV segments still? Is he going to be okay? I, I like the
3: concern. None of those concerns were about his health. It was just like, can the
1: machine keep going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. wait, wait, one very important detail to that story. <laughs> yes. That um, Dale, I hope you forgive me for sharing this. But when I spoke to him after his fall, he said the very first thing he had to do when he, after he got back on his bike and made it to Pork Slope, was use the bathroom because he <laughs> hit himself that hard wow. Oh, <laughs> his wow. glasses
4: were crooked <laughs> wow but so those are just some of the fun things that we get to uh deal with and i mean a lot of these people we spend so much time with them that they do become our friends, They're friends.
3: what yeah. i mean this is kind of off of your question but like what is a really like what is a crisis moment that you guys have to do like i mean that's like a funny story
4: I mean that's as close to crisis as I think we actually get. Right. There's nothing that dramatic that ever happens. Um, I think I had a chef sprain his an ankle once, but I like when we're thing. trying
3: to ask questions like this is like the presidency because
4: yeah. <laughs> we all watch way too much. House I know. Story. I know.
1: It's, I know. It's, it's it's PR, not ER.
3: <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. That's,
4: that's another great quote we got. Yes.
1: Oh that oh that's
3: natural. An
4: that's
1: yeah. Publicist
3: lingo. Um, so what are the uh, moments looking back on on your careers that is a real high five? great moment where you go this was awesome this was this is like where did you really celebrate because i know that we could all get caught up caught up in the one foot for the other when did you take a moment back and be like this is amazing
4: i had a really awesome the first like big event i coordinated for one of our chefs was um the chefs are based out of philadelphia mark vetri and his chef. shout out
3: former uh snacky tunes uh guest and musician
4: yes Incredible music because yeah. you know he's not good enough at just making amazing Italian food. He also can play.
3: Shred. He's on Snakytoons Comp Volume Two, which you can actually get on the Heritage SoundCloud page. Really, really pushing it. <laughs> well, when you call it out like that, it just it becomes yeah. less really seamless. But <laughs> so shout out to Mark Vetri and the Philly crew. <laughs> shout out to the Flyers—they're picking up a point today. Push to the playoffs. Anyway.
4: But yeah, um, the first big event I think I coordinated for them was um, at Tasting Table. Okay. And I don't get to see them as often as I'd like because they are in the city, and I see my New York City chefs a lot more often. Yeah. Um, and I got to hang out with them for a few hours, and I did. They did a few um, demos with the team there, and I, I went to go get coffee with them, and it was the first time I had actually felt like I fully understood them. Like, I mean, you can hear, you can read so much about chefs, and yeah. you can speak to them on the phone, and I speak to half these guys more than I speak to my own parents, but that was the first time I just was so wowed actually getting to taste their food and having like the experience that so many people do with him. And it makes you feel really proud to represent somebody that is that talented and that cares so strongly about what they do for a living.
1: And, you know, a lot of times when you, um, you know, work with journalists and get some of these, the the chef stories out there and you know, a chef sees their restaurant in the newspaper or mm-hmm. on a blog and, you, and they call you up and thank you for, um, you know, your hard work, it, 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 it makes it... You know, it's a very rewarding feeling. And, like, moments like that are are cause for celebration. When, you know, you know you've worked really hard to put that shelf out there and really tell his or her story. Um, it's nice. Um, so... As we move into the future of food
3: PR, I know that even like the last few years with like Instagram and Twitter, it, I mean it's a whole different game. What are the new trends? Like, what's happening? Like, what's really important for chefs to do now? Like, is it super important that they just have to have an online presence the whole time, or is it about like getting out there, but then making sure the food's good, or is it just you gotta have everything?
4: I think it's just so much more involved to be a chef these days. I, I feel like before chefs you know weren't really on TV and. Now they have so many TV opportunities, and some of them are not um, as sociable as, as everybody else might be. So I think Instagram's huge for food, yeah, especially yeah. if you learn how to take, like, a decent food photo. Because when's the last time you looked at something and you were like, ah, oh, man, like, I really want to eat that?
3: Yeah. Daniel Krieger's. Shout, Shout out to, to Daniel I oh, yeah. but I Did But he I, he just, least, uh, the, the, what just came out, everything was shot on his iPhone.
4: Gato, wasn't it? Didn't he do Gato's photos?
3: No, did. But just, I've but no, I've also yeah. seen how the sausage is made by eating with them. It's 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 very. But it takes a lot. But the, the photos are beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, he takes some awesome photos. I
3: saw this one photo of his that was like it was like literally like this. It was like a just a like a plate of food in the shadows that was just like so beautiful and haunting.
1: J-D-P- and I was like, shout out, shout out, to follow
3: James. him on in, uh, on Instagram.
4: Yeah, yeah. He has beautiful food shots.
1: So it's and so- and people shots. My favorite is still the uh, one he did for Eater with the ladies of Miss Lily's. Oh, mm. uh, yeah.
3: He's great. So it's all about social, things like that. Is there anything that you see on the horizon with, of a new sort of social trend or something that people need to do?
4: I feel like the lower price point tasting menus are really making a comeback. Yeah, Where it's not so much $100 and you sit there for, or over $100 and you sit there for several, several hours. There's a lot of people doing, like, much lower priced tasting menus. And it's easier to... To sit there for two hours and have a great meal and a great glass of wine, but it's not your whole night, I guess. So. Yeah,
1: the the meeting point between casual and fine dining, and like bringing those two worlds closer together. Great. Well, we
3: want to thank you for joining us. Um, if you had to pick one social media for people to follow you on, what would you guys say? Shout it out.
4: Probably our Instagram. Instagram. Bullfrog has a really great one. Yes. We've been working on a lot.
3: Uh, and the Instagram is.
4: Bullfrog and Baum.
3: Great. And, uh, is that a ampersand? Is that
4: a? That a- is an A A-N-D. and You Can't ampersand things on no. social media. We found this out. Or yeah, or, it, or, it, or email
3: It messes with the code. That's uh, tough. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks for coming by. Hope Thanks for having around. us.
4: Happy birthday. Thank Happy you.
3: birthday. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. you. So we have a packed house. Real family affair. Real family affair. Real, real family affair. Um, We have the Jenkins family here. Uh, And Rich Jenkins, welcome to Snacky Tunes.
2: Thank you, Greg.
3: Uh, You know, after uh, Cassandra told us about you uh, on her episode, we are like, yeah, we have to have that guy in. Um, So if you didn't get a chance to check out uh, her episode, do you want to give a brief history of why we would potentially find you so intriguing and want to talk to you?
2: Well, Cassandra is a singer, songwriter, performer, and with uh, Sam Owens uh, f- has a band. Yeah. Cassandra Jenkins. So um, that's fairly consistent with our family history. Uh, Sandra, who's here also, is a bass player. We had a band for many years. Stephanie has a band, and our son Reed has a band called Morning Siders. Now, is there a family band? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of flies in the night and <laughs> appears <laughs> appears uh, on random days, but we actually have a performance on April twentieth.
3: Amazing! And okay. you guys did family bus trips, right?
2: Well, uh, when the bus was running.
3: Running the bus. Uh, why, what was the bus? Did the bus have a name?
2: The bus. Uh, I don't think the bus has an name. No, Gus. Gus the bus. There we Sandra, go. Yeah.
3: Sandra, you can get on the mic right there too if you want to jump in there. It yeah. is a family oh, affair. So I mean, Cassandra did tell us about the trips, but how did the trips like come about? Like, at, like, what age were the kids? Like, where did you get the idea it's Like, this is a great way to spend our summers. Or did you show up with the bus one day at home and you're like "Honey, I have a bus." <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, kind of, exactly <laughs> Well, kind of. What
2: yeah, the kind of. He came to my workplace which
1: uh, I'm a teacher and he dangled a set of keys in front of me and it had a wooden little sculpture of a bus and I said, "What is this?" He said, "It's bus keys." I said, "Oh, bus keys. Okay. Well, and it's a 54 56 56, 56 GMC. Yeah.
3: Wait, isn't it broken down somewhere? Was that the story? It's like allegedly.
2: (laughs) Allegedly, it's broken down. It has a fairly short operating range right now.
3: Okay. Okay. From like where it's parked to where it's parked.
2: Uh, No, where it's parked, it goes a mile and a half. Okay. uh, And then I wait and drive it back. Uh, Okay. (laughs)
3: That's nice. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. No. <laughs> so it how did, did
1: how did it did make it all the way to Maine to a festival that we go to every year? Okay, as a family. Did it
3: make it back?
0: Yes, yes it yeah. did. Okay, it did yeah. there right. and back.
3: Um, so how did you get into music? Is is music just in your family and your parents and your grandparents?
2: Uh, no, it's not in my family. Um, it would be nice. It's in this family. It's in this family. Yeah. Uh,
3: Skipped a generation, I come, right?
2: <laughs> I come from a, f- a family of farmers and veterinarians. Okay and not really related to music that much.
3: But they work with their hands?
2: Uh, yes, and they work with their brains. Yeah. Um, but I started as a small child. Both my grandmothers had pianos in their parlors. Okay. So we would visit Grandma, and I would pound on a piano. So it got to be at around age seven. Uh, my brother, my sister, and I at that age all started taking piano lessons for me. It stuck much to my parents. Chagrin. Chagrin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, did, I, I, I did a lot of other things, but I always came back to music. It's, it's hard to explain why people are drawn to music. It's probably like food. Yeah. Like Shannon said, she, she went to the kitchen and there she wanted to stay. I went to the piano and there I wanted to stay there.
3: So how many instruments do you play?
2: I play basically piano and trumpet. And I own an accordion.
3: Okay. Yeah. okay. Does anybody in the family play that accordion?
2: Yeah, Dad
3: does. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I <laughs> well, I, but mom. mostly I own it. Yeah. Mostly you own it. Yeah. Uh, so, how did you get, um, or what was your start in playing in, in the city?
2: Start playing in the city started where I'm from, which is Catskill,
3: New York. Oh yeah, Borscht Belt. That's where I. I've,
2: uh, actually, I not.
3: <laughs> that's where our parents met. Uh
2: huh. Well, mm-hmm. it's it's related yeah. in a way, but C- Catskill, the village of Catskill. Oh, the village. Okay. Is on the Hudson. Right. Okay. And it's mostly the famous uh, people from Catskill are Rip Van Winkle. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, of, wheel, of yeah. Course.
3: And Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh, okay. One of the same. Yeah. So, <laughs> don't don't really think really about one without you, the yeah, other. Really when you think about He's it. He's in a pod. So, uh,
2: like, like the Borscht Belt, there are a lot of resorts. After World War II, people would come up out of New York to actually have a little vacation in a place that felt like home. So, in the Borscht Belt, where the resorts are Jewish, in the northern Catskills, the resorts are German, Irish, Italian, French. There was an Armenian resort. Get the Irish. Oh. oh, did I skip Irish? Yes. So sorry. It's <laughs> Irish is big. They call it the thirty third county. Oh, uh, yeah. very nice. Yeah. So um, I, I started when I was sixteen playing in these resorts. And what was like? What was uh, the music you were playing? Well, in the uh, German places I played polkas, and in the Italian places I played. Italian music, Way Marie,
3: oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> and and the Irish places. Well, the Irish places played half Irish and
3: half top forty. Okay, uh, let's hear a song.
2: Okay, I was uh, trying to think of a way to tie this in, but yeah, I think I got it. Okay. okay, here we go. First of all, thank you guys for putting music and food in the same show.
3: Hey, my yes, pleasure. Yeah.
2: They uh, they quite often go well together. Sometimes not. (laughs) But uh, this song is uh, about the day and about love. It could be about food, but I think it's about people. I need a Sunday kind of love. The kind that lasts past Saturday night. I got to know it's more than love at first sight I need a Sunday kind of love I need a love that's on the square Can't seem to find somebody to care I'm on a lonely road that leads me nowhere I need a Sunday kind of love I do all my Sunday dreaming And all my Sunday scheming Every minute Every hour of the day I'm hoping to discover A certain kind of lover To show me the way I need some something, something to and for, To keep me warm On Saturday night I know I know it's more than love at first sight. I need a Sunday kind of love.
3: There it is. I haven't heard that in like three years. So, how many songs do you know by heart?
2: Oh, that's, uh, that's a good question, and I'm not sure. Um, sometimes people ask for a song, and if I heard it enough, I can reproduce right. it. Right. Not necessarily all, all the lyrics, but people always remember the tune more than you remember the lyrics.
3: Right. So what, like, how many notes do you need? Or how many like hum- bars do you need hummed?
2: Uh, if I know the title, that's enough. Yeah. But here's what happened. It happened to me yesterday. I know the first eight, 16 bars, and then you get to the bridge. Then you get a little more. You guys, yeah. Sing me a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then into the next eight, and then repeat the first eight, and there you are.
3: I've always had this vision of, when I think of New York, of 4 a.m., somewhere in midtown, piano player, bow tie undone. Has yeah. that been you? Uh,
2: it has been. It has and been. Just, um, more
3: downtown than midtown. More downtown. Yeah. but And then just, um, you, you know, nameless piano guy and this, like, That's you know. That's me. Broadway, or some you know, someone belting and things like that. Yeah, yeah, all of that. What brought you like so leaving Catskills? Well, like when did you get down to the city and start playing the city?
2: Well, we backed uh, we backed acts. This this was the tail end of the the the, the really tail end of the vaudeville era. But the Catskill resorts used the vaudeville formula. They had a comedian, a singer, maybe a novelty act, you know, juggler, and uh, we would back the act. We have forty five minute rehearsal. Play, right. play the show, and away you go. Um, one of the acts we became friends with, he introduced us to uh, a ship line, Holler America line. We worked on a ship line. Then we came to New York, backed his album, and he then we backed an audition for his show on a, for a club on Mulberry Street. Oh wow! Called SPQR. Okay. Uh, the was a
3: year? What year?
2: It was 1980. okay. Uh, and we, we were actually on our way to California at the time, but this was closer, so we came here. We played club uh, we played in a, an audition at a club on 46th Street, Ted Hooks on stage. and uh, the, the owner liked our band, so we hired us.
3: Amazing. How did, you, how did you feel to play your first gig in New York?
2: That I was, I was very exciting. How old were you? Uh, early thirty. Thirty, I think I was twenty nine, thirty.
3: That's amazing. How about At, your age. Well, I'm a little bit older now. Yeah, well, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> aren't we all? Every minute. So you, pl- so you're in New York, and what was the scene like then? So this is the early '80s.
2: Well, uh, an indication that the, the club was owned by a man named Maddie,
3: the horse. Okay. So he was into racing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, a lot of made men. Uh allegedly allegedly yeah alleged allegedly <laughs> I don't see nothing I don't know nothing
2: a lot of, a lot of people spend a lot of time in the men's room
3: right a lot of cash yeah a lot of yep, cash yep, but so i mean so what's the vibe like i mean like i said you know i always have this vision of of like 70s 80s new york of just these like you know the the piano guy yeah. and what are they ask and what are you playing at this time like what what are you playing are you? like italian standards no
2: we, we we knew a few but they weren't yeah. they weren't timely um, we, what we were doing at the time was nost- what, what we called Nostalgia Vocals. It was from the 30s and the 40s. And it okay. was a trio. We had three-part three harmony. And uh, we, we were obviously not from New York. Okay. Uh, we were obviously not from Mulberry Street. So, But people liked us. And we played what we did. They had more of the same... They had uh, a nightclub upstairs. And we played for dancing and uh, and entertainment, then the act came on. Sometimes we but they had there was a house band also. And then we played between the shows, there was another show, and then we played after the show. It was a long day.
3: So how many how many gigs per or how many shows per week?
2: Uh, they would we did six nights a week. Oh, wow. From about eight o'clock till about four in the morning. Did they feed you? Uh no. no, no. We went next door for coffee <laughs> and then we went to Lucy Jungs on Canal Street for dinner afterwards. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah. They used to home
2: when the sun came up.
3: Yeah, a lot of sunrises. A lot of sunrises. Lot After
2: of- hours clubs. This was the eighties.
3: Oh man, it was fun. Was it fun? It was yeah. fun. Why? Yeah. It was before we had kids. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> PC, <keyboard>. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any uh, any like stories? Any uh, anything from that era that that sticks out as like a night to remember?
2: Uh, that
3: you're okay movie. with sharing in front of your kids.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I,
3: I'm, uh, Sam, tell me out here, food. Uh, oh, well,
1: there were a lot of times when uh, there were a lot of times when celebrities
3: came in. Oh yeah, what do, celebrity? Do, drop, US drop KCB. us some early '80s celebrities. Peter Allen.
2: Okay. Uh, one of my, one of our favorites, and we would go see him, and uh, he came in and did a show. I'll tell you a story. Okay. One one night um, there was a place on Fifty Second Street called Jimmy Weston's. And that's where everybody would go after going to SBQR. So one night, some of the boys invited us to go with them. You know, it's like you see the, always see pictures of the Andrew sisters. Yeah. Out with older men. Yeah. Well, we were the Lynx trio out with older guys. Right. You know, and and I have to say, we were always treated with great respect there. Right. They, They never, nobody ever hit on Sandy. Our drummer had a girlfriend. Nobody ever, they always respect that. And uh, so I, we never got a weird, weird feeling on Mulberry Street. Nice, we're nicely treated. So up we go to Jimmy Weston's. They invite us to sit in with a band. Tommy Furtado was the band. Mm-hmm. Nice, great band. Sat in with a band. And uh, then one of the guys comes over and said, you know, would you, li- would you like to meet somebody? I said, yeah, who? He says, Frank Sinatra. He's over in the corner. So we went over and, you know, paid our respects and kissed the ring and that thing. And <laughs> never forget it.
3: Oh, you shook Sinatra's hand. You shook Sinatra's Sh- hand. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh my yeah, god! Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. not. That's not where I thought. It's pretty great. That's pretty yeah. great. Uh, yeah. Let's just play a song. Yeah, let's just hear. A song. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you, you want to do a Sinatra song? You want to do something?
2: Uh, let's see.
3: Look, I know it's a birthday request, but if if you know my way, uh,
2: that's not a good one. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but, for, give, give me give me a second
3: choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, that's, that's life.
2: Yeah. Uh. One that I Do a synopsis one, that you oh. know. One that you know <laughs> Yeah okay. yeah. Okay Became a beer commercial Someday When I'm awfully low And the world is cold I will feel a glow Just thinking of you And the way you look night. Oh, but you're lovely with your smile so warm and your cheeks so soft. There is nothing for me but to love you and the way Word your tenderness grows, tearing my fear apart and the laugh that wrinkles your nose touches my foolish heart You are lovely never Change keep that breathless charm. Won't you please arrange it? Because I love.
3: We, we have a sound yeah. effect yeah. so wait what <laughs> welcome <laughs> back welcome back Jack Inslee Jack Inslee found the sound hey, and effect and shout out to Joe hey. who's left to go on to be a rock star yeah well done um, what's your favorite room to play in New York
2: Boathouse in, the Boathouse in Central Park why uh, mm-hmm.
3: because uh, it's you, need a wa- you need a reason for that <laughs> I need his reason <laughs> yes, I need, I'm a professional interviewer <laughs> oh you need his reason <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I need his unlike, reason unlike mm-hmm. something yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not naming names. Not naming names. I'm looking at you. Uh, so why do you love playing there?
2: Uh, the setting is, is gorgeous. Uh, the atmosphere is informal. It's, it's uh, when people say, how's the food? I said, better than it has to be.
3: True. Good answer. Uh, the, uh, the,
2: the, uh, people, I, I, the piano sits on the bar level, and as people walk in, they see the lake for the first time. You can't see it from outside, really. There's trees and fences. and They walk past the wall, and that's they come right to the piano and see the lake at the same time. And people are, are totally disarmed. Yeah. They, they just go, whoa, because there's boats rowing and the gondolier, Andres the gondolier.
3: It's like a it's like a perfect New York moment. Yeah. It's like a little bit of a fantasy. Yeah. I mean it's real but it's like a little bit of no, it's oh, it's the piano player, Central Park. It's yeah. It's right yeah. in the middle
2: of the park and you forget you're, you you forget you're in New York, you forget you're anywhere. It's it's gorgeous. So and um, they know they know how uh, the music fits in with the, the food. It's not yeah. it's not a competition.
3: So, uh, I mean, you've been doing... You've been in cities since the 80s, and we all know things change, but, like, how has it it changed? And how have you been able to stick stick with it for over three decades?
2: Uh, I've changed what I do a lot. When we came, obviously, we had a trio. We were singing. um, We were entertaining a lot more. And now... Most of the places where I work, want, they want live music because they know it makes a difference. It yeah. personalizes, it relaxes, it's kind of a steroid for the atmosphere. Uh, but they don't want entertainment because that distracts from the chef.
0: Mm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so so uh, um, that's, that in, in what I do, that's changed. Uh, there's, there's an expression, there's music, then there's the music business. Right. One has nothing nothing to do with the other. Of course. Then there's the music business and there's show business. So sometimes they cross over, but not necessarily. If you're if you're if you're in music, and you get to put on a show, that's uh, that's an added. It's a different business for one thing, but it's an added. Uh, you get a boost from that. Do you play any restaurants? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I play at Del Posto restaurant.
3: That that little ever choice. heard of that? Watch <laughs> it, watch that one. That's a beautiful room.
2: Yes, a beautiful it is. Place. And, and I understand they don't hire any PR people. They don't because they got their PR person. They got their PR. <laughs>
3: so, um, so, do you play any uh, like hotel bars? Are you like from? Uh, uh, actually, there, there,
2: this was kind of a, a uh, timeline. Yeah. Our son Reed, I mentioned him yeah. before. He's uh he was born. In 1991, I started playing at the St. Regis Hotel mm. the exact same year. When he turned 22, they discontinued their music policy, which, that's that happens. Too. That happens. Yeah, it happens. Um, but you, I played there 22 years, continuously. Do you have a story from there
3: you want to share? Ah, uh, let's see. Story from... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank thank you. Someone else said it. I felt like I was going to have to be the guy who asked about Piano Man, but... Well... This was in
2: the 90s. Okay. Oh, yeah. So yeah.
1: He yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I uh, didn't know who he was. Yeah. So Billy Joel was staying at the St. Regis. He's Billy Joel. He can stay wherever he wants. Stay wherever he wants. Yeah. And um, staying at the uh, St. Regis during the River of Dreams. Okay. And so I was playing. he came in, he looked at the piano. He says, hey, move over. So I moved over, and we played a duet. And wow. And that was, that was fun. And then just by coincidence... My parents walked in. They they live up in Catskill, yeah. and they they but they they used to come to New York quite a bit. They came in and he uh, they sat down. He went over and talked to them. He says, "Where are you from?" He said, "Catskill." He says, well, "I know where Catskill is because I dock my boat there. It has the best in, it has the best harbor
3: on the river." I mean, that's common knowledge. <laughs> it's common knowledge.
2: If you have a seventy foot yacht, of course, it is Catskill. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and, he, uh, and I was very thankful because he was very gracious to them. And, and we, he, we played a lot of tunes together, and uh, we didn't actually do Piano Man. But How I, did, can, can,
3: do you relate to that song? When that yeah. came out? Oh, yeah. What yeah. was your experience the first time that came out and you heard it?
2: I, I was playing in a restaurant upstairs, and, uh, or upstate, rather, and uh, people came in, so you got to learn this song, you've got to learn this song. So I just learned this song right and it's a great song great song. Uh, tells a great story and pretty much i mean billy joel has a way of telling a story yeah the story i got from that restaurant is a guy came up to the piano and he said play besame mucho and he pulled out a gun <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and I said, was yeah, that was a, a, a restaurant in, in Catsville.
3: Uh, I want to make sure that we have time for one more song. Um, last question is, what is the song you get requested the most?"
2: It used to be "Stairway to Heaven." <laughs> really? Oh my god! I thought that oh, was no. like a bad joke. Yeah, that was a, it. Was a bad joke, but <laughs> yeah. it's as time goes by. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Time goes by. Yeah. What's
3: a song that uh, right, I'm going to do? Two questions. we'll done. Song you get requested that you hate playing, and song that you get requested that you love to play. Oh, it's good. Uh,
2: most of the songs I most of the songs I do, I really like. Yeah. Um, Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's a great song. And when you when you when you deconstruct it, yeah. you realize what a great and and a, a great band. But it's hard to really hard to make some of these things work on
3: piano. Favorite song? Uh, Favorite song to play?
2: Uh, well, there's there, there's a lot of one of them I just did the way the way you look tonight. Beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, um, I love as time goes by. Uh, Let's end
3: on that. You want to know that? Sure, sure. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming on, whole Jenkins clan. So you guys playing? Where you guys playing on the 20th? Uh, We're playing
2: at the Brooklyn Folk Festival. Hmm. It's at the Bell House. Oh man, great uh, venue.
3: It is. Great venue.
2: And we're doing a Pete Seeger tribute, and Stephanie is spearheading this this uh, effort because she plays the banjo.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say you walked in. uh, We I saw you out there with the banjo. I was like, she has to be a Jenkins. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't want to say. (laughs) shout out to Shannon Marcus thank you you. B&B forever Uh, we'll be back next week you won't be back I'll be back in mid-May be back in mid-May happy Uh, birthday thank you thanks Jack (laughs) Jack good to see you too good to see you too All right, here we go we'll see you guys next week oh wait how can people find you oh yeah
2: at the boathouse on the weekends (laughs) I I have a very I have a very small web presence because I'm pretty much fully employed happy to say yes (laughs) Um, and and when that whole, uh, when that whole world became available, I wasn't uh, that. I didn't have that much
3: time. Yeah. So. Well, if you need. Uh, but some, soon, if you need some PR, <laughs> I have some people right here. Yeah, uh, give me a restaurant gig. That's what I need. Mean. <laughs> All
2: right.
3: Well, thank you, guys. We'll see you next
2: week. Thanks very much. You must remember this: a kiss is still a kiss, a sigh is a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. And that you can rely. No matter what the future brings as time goes by. Moonlight and love songs, never out of date Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate Woman needs man, man must have his mate All oh, that you can rely It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die Of us as time goes by
1: thanks for listening to this program on heritage radio Network.org. you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network